Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear friends, thanks for joining us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm John Russin. I serve as the host with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman, who's living and breathing in the nice cool of South Louisiana today, I assume. Yes, sir. And it's wonderful. <laughs> well, enjoy it while you can. <laughs> That's true. I tell people we have beautiful weather, say November through April, but we pay for it the rest of the time. That's right. Well, <laughs> if you've just joined us, Frank and I are working through a series that we're calling Pivotal Words in Scripture. And this is a case where there's a single word or a phrase that when we read it, seems to change everything. And we've been talking for the past few episodes about the word grace. And so I want to begin today, my friend, by picking up where we left off last time about grace in the modern church. And I know that lots of churches of lots of different denominations and persuasion have grace in their title. But when you talk to many of them, or many people within the church, you get the sense that by focusing solely on God's grace, we're doing an injustice. Because in their minds, we need to balance grace with law, mm. which means, of course, that grace must lead solely to license. So we've got to rein in grace to sort of keep things in perfect balance. Now, I want to begin right now by saying I have a problem with that. <laughs> As well, you should. <laughs> yes. And so, and it's because of one simple thought, and this is where I'm going to turn it over to you. If Jesus is grace in a body, as Titus 2 tells us, then if we're saying that grace alone is out of balance, we're saying that Jesus is out of balance. And boy, that's a dangerous thing to say. It's so wrong. So turn it over to you, my friend. What's going on here? Why are well, they thinking this and why is it wrong? <laughs> well, John, you just described a very important issue. And that is that we say words without thinking about what we're saying. <laughs> you just nailed that. If Jesus is grace, how can you have too much Jesus? People say things, but they don't think about what they're saying. I have found in 41 years of ministry now, John, that the church loves grace, proclaims grace, heralds grace, does not compromise when it comes to grace for salvation. The church has nailed that. The only way to get to God is through Christ and his grace. But then this phenomena occurs. We tell them, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. And they say, well, okay. And then, John, we instantly put them back under law. And now you got to read your Bible. Now you got to go to church. Now you got to give. Now you got to do this. And now you got to do that. 
And what's happened is it's grace for the unbeliever, but not grace for the believer. That's the first problem. And what it ushers in then is that for the believer, it is grace and law. And John, you cannot do that. And to help our listeners understand that, we have to go to 2 Corinthians 3. And there we learn, and we need to understand, the law was full of glory. We have to admit that. You remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, there was lightning, there was thunder in the giving of the law. There were the angels of God there. The law is a glorious thing. Moses' face, when he came back from that mountain, was shining like the sun. The law is a glorious thing, but you have to say, why? Because it reveals to us the holiness of God. And not just the holiness, but the holy love of God. John, all the law is, is love stated negatively. First four commandments are really love your God. Don't put anything other than God. The next six are all love for people. Honor your father and mother. Don't steal from each other. Don't commit adultery with each other. It's all love. Well, why didn't God just say love? Well, because we're separated from him and he is love. So we didn't know what love was. So the law was a revelation to us to refute the lie that we shall be as God, to refute the law that we could become holy apart from God so that we would run to God for grace and in grace, we could find the Lord Jesus Christ. So, John, I would put it this way. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul said the law is a ministry of death and condemnation. It serves us death and condemnation. That's wonderful. So that we will, Galatians 3.24, run to Jesus and there find his life, which is a life of grace. And so, John, uh, let me complete. I know this is turning into a diatribe. I'm waiting your comments. But they are two mutually exclusive systems with two mutually exclusive purposes. The law exists to give death to people who follow it. Grace exists to give life to those who come to grace. If you add law to grace grace will lose its freeing power. If you add grace to law, the law will lose its holy terror. When you mix them, you destroy them both because you rob them of their purposes. Keep them mutually exclusive so they can do what they were designed to do. The law is designed to kill you, drive you to Jesus. Once that occurs, be done with the law and live in grace, which is the person of Jesus. That's a diatribe. Where do you want to go from wow. there? Well, <laughs> I want to respond to that with just an example, actually a couple of examples. Not long ago, I had a conversation with a person here, a believer here, uh, a leader in uh, his church. And we were talking about law and grace, exactly this conversation. And he said this to me, oh, I don't follow the law of Moses. I just use it like gutters in a bowling alley. And so basically he's saying, I'm still using it as a standard, an external standard to tell me when I'm getting off course. Mm. And this is, 
law masquerading as grace. Yeah, because really he's is. forgetting the fact that Titus 2 says only the grace of God, Jesus Christ in us can teach us to live godly lives. By looking to anything external, we are going to miss the boat completely. So that's one thought I want to throw out there. Mm. And here's a second one. I'm going to ask Can you. I respond to yeah, the, that one ahead. before we go to the second yeah, one? Go ahead. Did you hear what he didn't say? I think that's one of the things I listen for now, not just for what people say, but what they didn't say. I use the law as the gutters. I did not hear Holy Spirit. No. I did not hear Jesus. And see, that's what this guy's missing. By using the law as a guide for him, he's missing the person of God inside of him who's promised to light his path now. He will not only keep you away from the gutters, the Holy Spirit will lead you right down the middle of the lane. He will fulfill a righteous life inside of you because you're in union with his life. So a person who still focuses on the law, John, even if he's only using it as a guide, is unfortunately being led away from the only one who can really give him life because he's got his eyes fixed somewhere other than God. Yeah. That's tragic. But he's not the only one, Frank. You and I have talked to, I don't know how many thousands of believers over the years who believe this very same thing. They have the 10 commandments posted on the wall. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the 10 commandments. It's a perfect expression of the holiness of God and what he wants to accomplish in our lives. Because if we truly know him as our life, we won't have another God. We won't steal. We won't commit adultery. We won't want something that somebody else has. All those are promises. Believers, individuals still see them as benchmarks. And so they, they kind of walk with one foot in freedom and the other foot in the gutter. And they stumble, Frank. They really do. And it breaks my heart, which is why we kind of started our Resolute Hope. Yeah, John, you know, you mentioned last time that we have a commentary coming out. I am shamelessly going to uh, promote that. <laughs> we were stunned, both of us. In fact, that's going to be the title, Stunned by Galatians, I believe is might be the title. We haven't figured that out yet. But we saw in Galatians 1.6 this amazing thing that if you put your eyes on anything other than Christ, it's not that you moved five degrees or 10 degrees away from Christ. The word pervert, the gospel, means you went in reverse. When you put your eyes on the law, you have gone 180 degrees away from Christ. You know, in the verse before that, we saw that Paul said, I marvel that you're so quickly departing from grace. That's not what he said. He said that you're so quickly departing from him. Oh, John, that is so powerful. Jesus Christ has the market cornered on life. So we have to have our eyes fixed on him because he alone is the one who knows how to live the Christ life. And anytime we look to any other thing, we're being distracted from him. 
who alone is grace. Amen. That's huge. You know, I want to be very bold when I say this, my friend. Believers don't need a sin management plan. Mm. All of us struggle <laughs> with making stupid choices and behaving in ways that are inconsistent with who we are as God's kids. We all admit that. Mm. Some of us say, well, I need to fix that. So I'm going to define all these rules and guidelines and put up all these fences so that I don't commit those sins anymore. But what they're missing is that none of that works. It simply just kills and condemns. It brings death. It will not bring life. Mm. Only Jesus Christ tied us to the grace of God in us can teach us how to live a godly life. So this mm. is how I manage it. The once every five or 10 years when I'm tempted to sin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love the powerful name of Jesus. So I will just say out loud, Jesus, Jesus, help. I'm tempted here, help. And mm. so I just turn to him and I trust his life in me. Now, sometimes I listen. Every once in a while, I don't. And so, mm. but I know the path to success always leads to trusting Christ's life in me. Sin mm. management plans, and I don't know how many books there are out there touting those things in lots of different names, but my friend, they just don't work. Yeah. John, you've hit the nail on the head. Maybe I can put it in a, a catchphrase. In the new covenant, we are not behavior modificationists. We are resurrectionists. We have the resurrection life of Christ. And we don't need behavior modification because we've got that resurrection life exploding from within us. You know, John, I'm listening to you and here's what popped in my brain. You know, the book of Hebrews, I know that's one of your favorite books. You spent a lot of years teaching that book. It is the Jewish Romans, you know, it's uh, so doctrinally sound between old covenant, new covenant. We have a better sacrifice, a better covenant, a better high priest, uh, and on and on it goes. When it turns to the practical section of the book, Hebrews 12, first verse, it does not say, now, as you run the race, fix your eyes on the law. It does not say, now as you run the race, fix your eyes on the commandments of Jesus. See, there's a lot of people doing that out there, John. They're saying, oh, we're not under the law of Moses, but we are under the commands of Jesus. It does not say that. There are commands all over the place, imperative verbs all over the place. But what that verse says is fix your eyes on him. He's the author of your salvation. He got you into life. He's the perfecter of your salvation. He's the one we fix our eyes on, John. Amen. And our enemy, my friend, is so incredibly devious. He is mm -hmm. brilliant, far smarter than you and I could ever hope to be. And so what he will often do is wrap up the crippling law under a thin guise of grace so that it's just a law wearing a grace mask, a masquerade of grace. <laughs> and we get, you know, so many of us 
often get tied up in this because what the law describes, my friend, the behavior, the attitudes, the heart, the focus is just so good. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. It really is. But here's the question I ask myself. When I'm looking at what I'm hearing in my brain as to how to stop my sinful acts, does it lead me to focus on a checklist of what I got to do? Or does it lead me to fall on my face like the tax collector in the Pharisee and tax collector parable, like the tax collector fall on my knees, beat my breast and say, Father, be merciful Mm. to me. That's what I need. And so that's kind of a litmus test for me. What does it lead me to do? Does it lead me to do or does it lead me to trust? And Mm. I'm going to let you wrap us up with that comment. Well, John, anytime I see somebody and the sneakiness, you know, I hear people say things like this. Oh, I know better than to follow the law of Moses, but I follow principles. I have standards. (laughs) That's law. Because the problem of anything other than Christ and his spirit is that it's as you look at something that calls you to do something, the ultimate focus of your eyes is going to be on yourself. And you're either going to do pretty well and slip into pride and critical spirit and judging of others who don't do it as good as you, or with your eyes fixed on yourself, you're liable to fall into failures and guilt and shame. The spirit does not need the law to manufacture his life in our life. That's why in Romans 7, Paul made it very clear that in Christ We were crucified, buried, and resurrected with him. And when that crucifixion occurred, we died to the law, Romans 7, 3, and 4, so that we could be married to Jesus. And like our good friend Juan Carlos Ortiz, who is now with the Lord, used to say, if you are married to Jesus and go back to the law, you're committing spiritual adultery. That's a word to end on, John, unless you've got something you want to add. It surely is. No, I've got some stuff. But as usual, once you and I get talking, it can go on for hours and our listeners will be asleep. So I'm going to cut (laughs) it off there. Thanks, dear friends, for checking in with Frank and me today on this podcast. We've been talking about our understanding of of grace. Uh, And if Father has ministered to you today in any way, we would love to hear about it. So please check out our website ourresolutehope.com. You'll find there a way to contact us. Just fill it in. Let us read your comment. We'd love to know what Father's doing in your life because of it. And also on that website, you'll see lots of other useful things, articles, devotionals, uh, newsletters, eBooks, etc., all centered on the grace of God, Jesus Christ. And so once again, we ask you to pray for us because as Frank and I do this, We just begin each episode with just trusting the Holy Spirit to speak through us the words he has already prepared for the hearts he has prepared to hear. So we covet your prayers. And as always, we close with this reminder from Hebrews chapter six, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope. And uh, to Frank and me, it's a bedrock, absolute, resolute hope. And that hope is Jesus. So today and always choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you 
as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.